She would come home from school and her dad would greet her and her brother at the door and they would sit down at the kitchen table. And it was never, you know, tell me about how you got a hundred on the spelling test or what did you succeed at? His big thing for her was what did you fail at today? You know, what did you fail at? And she said that he almost got mad at her if she said that she didn't uh, fail at something. And his whole premise was with this was if you're not failing, you're not trying, you're not pushing yourself, you're not getting out there. And the people are going to be the most successful are the people that are going to push themselves, not worry about making the mistakes. You make the mistakes and you learn from them faster than everyone else. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Brian Martin is the host of the Teaching Champions podcast, but much more than that. He is a teacher slash student, speaker slash listener, and failure slash achiever. Brian's continuous positive messaging about mindset, learning, gratitude, and how to improve education through Twitter is truly inspiring. Brian's constantly lifting educators up. Personally, I found him through that very platform, and after reading through his feed, knew he would have a ton to offer to my listeners on this podcast. Um, Brian is also a second grade teacher. He was a basketball coach for quite a few years, and many thanks to him, he is a veteran. In talking to Brian at the beginning of the show, we also found out that we have a much closer connection. He hails or, or lives in um, the town that my wife is from. So we, we had quite a bit to talk about. Brian, thanks for coming on the podcast and welcome. Dr. Jones, I appreciate uh, being here on this podcast and I'm just fired up to have a great conversation with you. Yeah, this is this. We're going to we're going to talk a lot about education um, and help a lot of people out. But what I want to start with is, so what about you? What's your story? How did you come to teaching second grade? And and it sounds like you've done a lot of other things. So how do we find you where you are now? Yeah, so my path, uh, just like any a lot of educators, doesn't start right out where you know exactly in high school that you want to be a teacher. And that's the, the from point A to point B. I didn't know for myself, all I cared about was sports in high school. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So all I knew was I wanted to help people. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to serve people. So I go to junior college and I get a computer degree. Just because at the time, technology was slowly starting to become more relevant. And after I finished up that, you know, I'm 19, 20 years old. 
And being a teacher still wasn't at the forefront. I was like, I want to do something that that might be perceived as a little more like adrenaline fuel, a little more maybe masculine when you're 19 or 20 years old. So I said, I'm going to become a police officer. So I started to uh, go to college for that, continue my education with that. And I got in there. And after taking a few courses, I realized it wasn't for me. So I'm up at school, I'm in this program and almost lost. And I'm at the basketball court one day playing basketball and I'm having this conversation with this kid and he was a young man and he was in elementary education. And being transparent, he said, you know, as a male at the elementary level, you're going to get a job just like that. And I thought about it and I always loved, I wanted, I knew I wanted to serve. My uh, mom and my grandma and my grandfather were all educators. So I was like, you know what? This sounds, and I love kids, so this sounds great. And I guess from there, that's what led to, to me getting into the education field. I started out and I did two years of kindergarten. And that was an eye-opening experience <laughs> because the, the kindergarten teachers are absolutely amazing. I, I give full credit to them. What they're able to do with the youngest of our students is unreal. And uh, when I moved up to first grade and then I got activated and I went over to Iraq and I was on active duty orders for about 16 months, came back and I've been in second grade ever since. So I guess that's kind of my story right there in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. You said a couple of things that um, just really hit home with me the i and it, i mean just the similarities continue to pop up i i was the same in high school had no desire to go into education or anything like that didn't have a really good experience chose mm-hmm. my college based on who paid me the most money to play football for him <laughs> so so you know i i hear you on that the other one that really stuck out to me about your journey is the whole kindergarten thing and how amazing we, we can give a quick shout out to all those kindergarten teachers out there because my kids were um, attended a daycare for not very long, but for a span. And I went to pick both of them up one day. And I had always been thinking to myself, I, I like kids. Uh, why don't mm-hmm. we just open a daycare? And I went and picked them up and there were like 15 kids there. And just I stood there and watched while I waited for my kids to get their stuff collected and get over to me. And I was uh-huh. like, no way. How do you do this <laughs> all day long? But uh, it, it's absolutely fantastic what they do. It's a whole new world down there. Yeah. And you being, yeah. and, and just touching on, on one thing, I want to get sidetracked here, but I've always like uh, being a varsity basketball coach, working with uh, the high school kids, since I'm with the elementary kids. One question that, uh, you know, always kind of throws me off is when we ask those seniors, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Is a lot of them, they don't even know who they are. So, you know, one thing that I always tried to help uh, the high school boys out, and I miss working with the upper echelon too, is uh, pointing out their skills, pointing out what they're, what they're good at, what maybe can they use those skills to help them, maybe that they can find a career in and such, because you're young. I mean, that's, that's your world right there. But when you're 18, you think you know the world, but uh, you're pretty young. Oh yeah. You're not even, not even pretty young. You're real young still. <laughs> you know, something that I came across when I was going through your Twitter feed, um, a saying that I think what you were just talking about plays into the idea of when you're 
when you're trying to help people decide which way to go, um, we're often faced with choices between good and negative, especially today. And your your quote was, don't, uh, don't just find the good, make a point of absorbing the good. And that just, I thought that was such a powerful thing. How can leaders help teachers with that? We talk about, you know, being positive in school and things like that. Um, there's a lot of negative out in the world towards educators. We went from heroes during, as the pandemic broke out, we scrambled to make things work to zeros because then everything was our fault after. How can leaders help teachers live that saying? Yeah, and I think uh, the leader's job, especially during this time, has been so difficult. And I guess I would say it's in the messaging and what you're modeling. And I really grabbed on to that. I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast. And one thing that I'm not a a huge, uh, or I haven't watched too many movies of Sarah Palin, but I always, she's a a comedian. I believe that's her name. And uh, uh, I love listening to comedians and their perspective. And she, she was telling that she was going through a really difficult time in her life. She had experienced some loss. And her grandma said, you know, you need to get out of the house. You need to look at for the good in the world and you need to grab that joy and hold on to that joy. And that kind of gets along with that absorbing uh, the good because there's going to be every single day, whether you're whatever position you have in um, education, there's going to be some things that, that aren't, uh, rainbows and unicorns. There's going to be some tough moments, but there's also going to be great moments. And I think we have to be cognizant of those good moments. For me, every single morning that, uh, so my classroom is the first room in the hallway. And uh, so the kindergartners line up right outside my door when the bell rings, music comes on and all the kindergartners walk down to the kindergarten wing. So I stand out there and I, we just do a count. We try and time the clock. It doesn't always work, but we try and do a countdown from 10 to zero. And then, uh, you know, we cheer when the bell rings, if we hit it on point and I'll just give them some fist bumps and they'll tell me some crazy stuff on their way down in the mind of a five-year-old what's going on in their world. But, uh, it's just a single moment. And that's, you know, that's a little joy or, my my room's also right next to where the the students are dropped off, and it, there's something special, you know. When I can look up from my computer, it's facing the window in the morning, and I, you know, I'm in the land of the littles, and I see a dad bending over and giving his kid a hug. That's pretty special, and that's grabbing some joy. Or I'm sitting in class. And that kid that's been a struggling reader all school year long, maybe he just rocks it out for that moment. He picks up a book and he rocks it out. That you got to hold on to those small moments because, like we said, there's going to be tough moments. There's not getting around it. That there's going to be stressful moments. But it's where uh, I think Tony Robbins said, where your focus goes, your energy flows. So what am I focusing on? All that negativity that's going to make me feel worse. Or am I going to grab and hold on to those little joys? Stress is always going to be there. But if I can feed myself enough, you know, that's going to help me get through the day. And then so as far as getting to to the leadership point, I think it's just modeling it, being an example of it. I think 
you know, just like we do for our students where, where uh, we make learning visible. Maybe as a leader, you're walking out and you're pointing out all the great things that you're seeing, how you're grabbing on to your joy. And that, yeah. so that would be my advice. No, that's that's perfect. You know, you, you said a couple of things. You said one of the things um, where you were talking about, and for, I think it's, is it Sarah? It's not Palin because Sarah Palin was like, you know, she's like, <laughs> Sarah yeah, Prisco she's in Alaska. Yeah, is it Prisco or Pasco or something like that? But I mean, we can, or Pasco, or no, Sarah Silverman. So Sarah, Sarah Silverman? Silverman, you know, <laughs> I took Anyways. a political route. Anyway, <laughs> it is Sarah Silverman. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, not a big deal at all. I, um, it, it, some people might say you're right on point depending on their political bent, but <laughs> you, you talked about the moments and grabbing those moments. And I don't know if you've ever read the book, um, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. It, it's such a good book and it talks about how to make those moments powerful and to stick so that we don't just leave them because it's easy, you know, like we were talking before to slide back into the negative. If you don't absorb those good things. But one of the, one of the things it's funny because the, the book that I wrote when, when I first wrote it, it was about leaders helping teachers and, and supporting teachers, but it also, somebody brought to my attention, uh, my editor to be specific, brought to my attention that as she was going through it and editing it, she found herself implementing stuff in her classroom because she's a teacher and um, how it worked for students in the classroom. And that idea of the idea of grabbing the positive, is there any way that you think teachers can help students hang on to that in the classroom? Those positive. No, I, I I love that question. And I, I think it's the exact same thing the biggest thing that we can do is model it mm-hmm. and point it out to, to, to our students. I know uh, I've, I need to make it a daily practice and I tried to make it a daily practice as far as being grateful and pointing out at the end of the day. Sometimes uh, we would have a sheet and whether they use it like sketch notes and they drew pictures or they write words, we always, what are you grateful for? What are you thankful for? And modeling that. And, you know, a lot, I found that helped the classroom culture too, because I would always, you know, I'm so, we call ourselves, uh, like I said, second grade, uh, we call ourselves the superstar scholars. They roll with it and they, they, they grab onto it. And, the, and I'll always say, you know, I am so grateful for the superstar scholars. I'm so grateful that we get to be here and we get to hang out with all our friends and that we get to learn and laugh and be there for one another. And when you say that enough times, and we talked about that a little bit earlier in our pre-meeting, like planting seeds, right? So I'm, I'm planting that seed in their, their heads. And all the time when we're talking about gratitude, they're sitting there talking about, you know, how thankful they are for their friends, how thankful they are that they get to be there for one another. And then when you see like uh, if uh, one of the young ones are having a, a tough day, there's been a lot of instances where the friendships, they'll go over and they'll support one another. That's so, fantastic. I was, no, I was just going to say, it, just to, to get, get say it again, it's pointing it out, making it visible, modeling it for them, and then walking them through that process. You know, we can't just... Uh, that that modeling piece, but walking them through. And it's almost like your whole book and your whole premise like that. Support, um, encourage, empower. It's almost that same, same 
uh, circle. And one of the things you said that is such a great strategy, now that I heard it, there's something I do, but not very applicable in the classroom. I have a, a field gold folder, I call it. So uh-huh. every time I get a positive email or a positive thank you note or anything like that, I put it in a folder in my desk drawer. And it's the first folder, it's out of alphabetical order. Um, mm-hmm. It's the first folder in my file cabinet. So whenever I'm having a tough day, whenever I'm having a bad time, I open that up and I read through a couple of them. That's great. Um, and so, but what you mentioned, the great thing is what you mentioned in the classroom, how you do that with students where they can draw or they can do whatever. Um, imagine that as a strategy. It sounds like you hit on that where kids can, they hear it from the adults and they talk about it and they say it, but then they could actually do that and create their own kind of folder of what they're grateful for. Yeah. And, and it's that whole process where you're getting them to the doing piece. And that right. that's so huge. And then ingraining that, you know. And I love your, your folder right there. I think you, you need that reminder, you know, that visible reminder that, that's front and center. Yeah. Where So you can fight off the negativity that, you know, says, oh, you are a bad person. You, you know, you're doing this wrong and <laughs> doing that wrong. But, um, you know, it's, and again, just listening to you talk and, and the things you go about, is there, is there one special thing that you're just super passionate about in education? Uh, so, so mine might be a, a little different than most. Like, uh, I'm sure everybody, I guess you got the social emotional piece, the, the academic piece. Mine is, I, I take it from a personal place because I, I'm someone like growing up that really struggled with self doubt. And there's so many, I look at every stage of my life and I can even look back recently to, to recent things where I've held myself back. And I self-sabotage just because I was scared to put myself out there. So I've been big and I've just been really consuming myself with like, um, because in sports right now, um, mental conditioning. So they get, it's almost like a sports psychologist where they teaching the brain different strategies to handle high pressure situations, how to handle failure, because we've made failure such a, you know, in our society, like we, it's almost we view failure as a bad thing. But I've listened to so many, uh, like multi, multi millionaires. I like to sometimes get on podcasts where you listen to these ultra successful business people. And one of them that I absolutely love is, uh, and I don't know why I got onto her, but uh, Sarah Blakely. So she's the, the founder of Spanx. And her story is absolutely amazing. Like she said, like, so I, I don't know too much about Spanx. I'm sure you don't. But uh, and the, and the ladies uh, out there, I'm sure that are listening know about that. And she started uh, with nothing. I think if you go back and listen to some of the podcasts that she's on, she started with like $5,000. And she said that the men controlled that whole industry, which is pretty crazy, but it makes sense. Like if you look back in time that, uh, why that happened. So just the hustle, the grind, the out of the box, uh, mentality that she used is so unbelievable. And she said the biggest thing, now this is a woman who started with $5,000 today. She's a billionaire. So, and she did that all on her own. And, uh, so she said one of the biggest things is when she was young, she said that she would come home from school 
and her dad would greet her and her brother at the door and they would sit down at the kitchen table and it was never, you know, tell me about how you got a hundred on the spelling test or what did you succeed at? His big thing for her was, what did you fail at today? You know, what did you fail at? And she said that he almost got mad at her if she said that she didn't uh, fail at something. And his whole premise was with this was, if you're not failing, you're not trying, you're not pushing yourself, you're not getting out there. And the people who are going to be the most successful are the people that are going to push themselves, not worry about making the mistakes. You make the mistakes and you learn from them faster than everyone else. So I guess I've taken that advice and I try and normalize failure in the classroom. And every single, we have like a mantra in our classroom that we say, and, uh, you know, they have the morning announcements. We say the pledge and then together we'll say every single day, the superstar scholars make mistakes, show grit, work hard, ask questions, be grateful and accept feedback. And uh, so those are kind of like our values that we have in the classroom. And I have make mistakes first because I want them making mistakes. And then I'll say, you know, raise your hand if you're going to make mistakes with Mr. Martin. And I'll say, and they, they, once in a while they, they, they get a little silly with it by the end of the year. So I'll say, oh, I'm raising two hands because I'm going to make multiple mistakes. Then they'll lean back in their chair. They'll put their arms up and their, their legs up. Oh, we're making all these mistakes today, Mr. Martin. And uh, so it's just that process. I want them to make mistakes, to push themselves, to be comfortable with putting themselves out there. That's awesome. And, and the first thing I want to say about that is thanks for starting that whole story with you being vulnerable about how you struggled with the idea of, of failure and, and making mistakes and things like that. Um, the, the Sarah Blakely story is phenomenal and it actually changed one of the routines that we have in my household with my two boys. My wife and I do it, my two boys, is we mm-hmm. call it roses and thorns. We ask for, you know, what was the worst part of the day and what was the best part of the day? with the idea that when they tell us the worst part of the day, we say, yeah, well, that wasn't all that bad, was it? And you're still doing fine. But um, that's such a powerful message, the idea that if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. I definitely, I want to dig into something deeper on that about how we, how leaders work with staff members around that whole concept. Because I, I feel that there, that's one of the issues with school. And one of the, one of the problems in, in traditional schooling is the idea of, if I make a mistake, I'm going to look like I am not the teacher. Like I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. But first, before we do that, I just want to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right. And we're back with uh, Brian Martin. When, you know, when we left, Brian, you were saying some really powerful things about um, the Sarah Blakely story and, you know, growth mindset. And if you're not failing, you're not trying. That's such a powerful message that our students need to hear. And we talk about it a lot in schools, but it's in my, in my humble opinion, (laughs) I Mm -hmm. think, uh, I I think that's what we struggle with when we're trying to change traditional education or, or improve that idea of failing is succeeding because you're moving forward because as teachers, we're supposed to be the ones with the answers. And unless we really, really honestly embrace that whole facilitator piece, instead of the sage piece, no matter how much we give it lip service, we don't model that. We, we send off those signals that we don't really believe it. And, and man, students know when we're not in it to win it. When, when we're not being honest or we're saying something we don't believe in, students know. So I don't even know why we would try to, to preach something that we don't believe in. Absolutely. Um, 
so so how do we build that belief in teachers? And I know there's the modeling where we make mistakes in front of teachers and things like that, but there's there's still that base belief of what teaching is supposed to be, the person with the answers. How do we root that out as leaders or help teachers cope with that? I think, you know, like you said, um, being as far as a leader goes, like being vulnerable yourself, admitting your mistakes. I think it's also a creating that atmosphere within the school. Now I have to say that, that I'm lucky because it's second grade. I escaped the state testing. Yes, we have our own little, little assessment piece, but, but the, the testing, I think, uh, can dictate a lot and, and hold a lot of people back from taking chances. And sometimes when you try something new, as far as teachers, I think that we get so caught up on, like you said, the piece that we have to be perfect. And new is never going to be 100% smooth. It's, you know, you, you do something, you uh, reflect upon it, you make those changes, and then you try it again if we want a, a great process. But I think the supporting piece, if you make it an atmosphere where it's all right to take those chances, it's all right to make mistakes, I am here to support you. I am here to, it's your whole framework. I would say for a leader, go read your book because, and I I dived into it this week. It's that whole process, you know, supporting, going out there, engaging them, uh, helping them, walking them through that process. I love how you talked in your your book about Voxer, how yeah. you would leave messages in Voxer. Like for, for myself and being another vulnerable moment, like I would struggle. I guess it's my insecurities because I struggled my first two years. And I haven't shaked off uh, all the insecurities, like having peers come into the classroom. That, that makes me... Uh, you know, that, that shoots anxiety up right there, having having colleagues, which it shouldn't, but uh, it does, and uh, getting their feedback. But I have a great relationship from uh, with my uh, administrator. I welcome him into the classroom, and I don't need him to tell me I'm doing a good job. I know sometimes we've created that culture where we need that that positive reinforcement. I don't need that. What I But what I do love, it's always nice to get that. I was, I was saying yeah. that, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, what I do love, how can I become better? So I guess normalizing that way, making it comfortable, making it as an administrator to let them know. And I guess it would be a different challenge with every individual, how you approach that situation, because each individual is different. But uh, and I guess not showing up just once a school year. I guess if you were more consistent inside the classrooms or consistently giving that that feedback or encouraging them and talking about, well, you know, what was the mistake that you made and how can I help you with that? How can I serve you? Yeah, no, that's excellent. And it's, you know, it's funny that, um, that you mentioned the Voxer and you mentioned about being in the classrooms as much as possible. Um, I know me personally, I can remember when I first had colleagues or a principal coming to my classroom. And it, when I had first started teaching, I was like, whoa, you know, everything stops, the mouth gets dry, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you hear your voice shaking, whether it is or not, you know that your voice is coming across all shaky. But the the thing is, I, I when I talk to people and the way I hope to help, or one of the ways I hope to help teachers with this is that, and I would encourage all administrators to to focus on this or leaders and even to focus on it with students. It's not that you're doing a bad job, 
Um, and obviously there are times that that conversation has to be had, but it's, it's not that you're doing a bad job. Just think of how much better or more awesome you could be if you just improve by a percent. If you yeah. just made one tweak, how much better you could be. And so that's that, that whole idea of trying to be non-threatening, you know? hundred percent. And, you know, I guess you come from a sports background. I come from a sports background. The way I look at it is probably uh, we could say Tom Brady's the best football or, you know, he's going to go down as easy. one of the greatest football easy players now. of all easy. time. <laughs> yeah. Well, being a Bills fan, I shouldn't even say that name out loud. Yeah. 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 Or you could say LeBron James right yeah. now, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. These guys, multi, multi, multi-millionaires every single day. And I tell my students this, but this awesome message for myself, every single day, they're getting coached. These guys that are considered the greatest at the professional level are getting coached. And, right. uh, you know, so just us adapting that mindset that you're not and in and it's hard, but you're not there to punish us. You're there to make us 1% better. And if we stack that 1% upon each other every single day, imagine how good we could be. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, when you're talking about service and, and serving people, just like leaders that, you know, when you come into the profession as a teacher, you get a mentor. And then you have a mentor for a little while and that mentor kind of goes off to the side. Yeah, you build friendships and things like that and you stay in touch. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, as a leader, you get a mentor and then that mentor falls off to the side and things. You should have a mentor forever. You should, you should always have a mentor because you always need to be coached. So if you're not looking for a way to develop yourself personally, professionally, then, then you're not going to make it. Um, and if you just have that, coach that you check in with that mentor and continue to get coached. I just, it, if you're really in it to serve, think of how many more people you could serve or the impact that you could have just by that 1% each day. hundred percent. And, and throwing it. And I guess because we're in the teaching world, it's a little bit different, but throwing another name out there. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Marshall Goldsmith, but uh, yeah. he, yeah, he, he's uh, in the business world. He's like listening to my grandpa by the, the fireside. I love listening <laughs> to that guy. And uh, But for the people who don't know him, he serves. So he's not in the athletics. He's in the business world. Top CEOs, the elite of the elite of the elite are getting coached. The people are running billion-dollar industries. So if they can get coached, then, uh, you know, we should welcome that coaching too. Absolutely. I, you know, and it's funny, I'll, I'll give a plug. Um, it, he's actually one of the sponsors, uh, better leaders, better schools, masterminds, uh, Danny uh -huh. Bauer. He actually wrote my forward in my book. Um, I'm part of his mastermind. He's got it down. If you want professional development, um, I, once a week I go to his meetings. I have a cohort of people. It's up to 14 and we read a book. That's not an educational book apply stuff to education, but we have those minds international from all different types of schools where we bring ideas, we get ideas. Um, we share time on the hot seat where we bring up a problem we have and people help us through it and things like that. Way I talk to these people and just the growth I've experienced from being part of that is phenomenal. And not just because I'm plugging that, but because I'm plugging the idea of coaching, no matter where mm -hmm. you find it. I mean, obviously make sure it's quality, but no matter where you find it, get coached, get mentored. It's, it, it makes such a difference. That's phenomenal. And just the fact that you have a group that you can bounce ideas off of. Right. 
I can, I can pick up my phone, text them anytime we have accountability partners. I woke up the Mm -hmm. other day to a text. My accountability partner right now is in Singapore. She was head of school in Nepal, but I woke up in the morning because the time difference to a text. So what's your one big thing you're accomplishing this week? And I'm like, you know, you can't text back and say something and not do it because you're going to get tricked on it the week, you know? So that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. But look, we've been talking for quite a while. We're getting near the end of the podcast. I ask every guest two questions. And you've given us a ton to think about, but if you weren't in education, who, not, what would you be? Um, The who piece, you know, I guess as I look at, uh, I'll go to a quote and I heard it by Dr. Jody Carrington and she she always throws it out by Ram Dass. And she says that, uh, I believe it is, we're here just to walk each other home along those lines. So I guess... If I wasn't in education, I hope I would be a person that would continuously just look to serve and use what time I have left to uh, you know, to help others. And to, and there's a lot that I'm not. I'm a pretty good cheerleader, and uh, you know, hopefully can <laughs> can fuel that positivity and uh, help each other out. So I guess that is who I would strive to be. Awesome. And I know people can't see this. It's a podcast, but if they could see your face, you've got this, this energy about you with a great big smile. So when you say you're always a cheerleader and you can do things, that's, it's awesome. Um, I can <laughs> definitely see that. But the, uh, the, the last one I ask everybody is, like I said, we've talked about a lot, but what's the best piece of advice you could give leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve? I would just be that that constant constant or be that person that models it, be that person that drives it. Look to uh, if you can create that that atmosphere where people are willing to take risks and make mistakes. That is key, and being vulnerable. I think you know. I look at it, and I don't judge my administrator like he has to be perfect every single day. That, you know, we work, we have our work life, but a prof- or our personal life is going to hit us too. And that's going to affect how we show up sometimes. And I know that professionally and personally, there's going to be things that happen to him and I can lead up and I can elevate him up and try and try and help him out as well. So just creating that atmosphere where, you know, we're there to support one another, to encourage one another, that it's about us becoming, like you said, that 1% better each and every single day. And I think, you know, I'm big. It's just got to be a constant message that if you believe in being 1% uh, better every single day, that you got to, and it's not good enough to just put it on a poster on a wall or in post it up on the office wall and touch on it like once a month at the faculty meetings. That it has to be a consistent daily message and it has to come in different ways because, you know, my message is, I guess I have the same morning message every single day for, for my, my kids sometimes. And as much as I want to think I'm Tony Robbins, they, they tune it out sometimes. So uh, being able, being creative, having that message that you want to drive home and creating that atmosphere would, uh, that's, that's, I guess, my words of wisdom for today. 
Those are fantastic words. Um, you know, you, you said so much about the whole idea where you have to balance everything too. You know, and I argue there's no such thing as a work-life balance. It's work-life negotiation. There yeah, are like some times where your work's going to need more and your personal family life's going to take back seat a little bit, but then you got to pay that back. And then you got to put the work life to the back seat, and your family's got to come front and center your personal life, your health, all that stuff. So a constant negotiation, and 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 don't worry about being Tony Robbins. That man, that's that's a tough act to follow. I can <laughs> I can listen to him and remember stuff, and I'm like, man, that guy can speak. <laughs> he, he's a, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. That guy is so. Yeah. Well, look, Brian. Thanks for coming on. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So if they want to reach out and, and hear more of what you have to say. Yeah. And so uh, I would love to connect with everybody on Twitter. My Twitter handle is B Martin real. And uh, I love, uh, it's a great learning community. There's a lot of people on there. They're just putting out some fantastic things. So whether you connect with me or other people, definitely look to, to do that. And, you know, check out the teaching champions podcast too. If uh, you want to, little, little motive, hopefully a little motivation or something, just something to light to listen to while you're doing the dishes. No, come on, man. Give yourself more credit than that. That's a good podcast you got going on there. So <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on this one. You're doing uh, great things. And hopefully when you're back in Olin, we'll, we'll take a little trip up to Sprague's. I owe you a pancake dinner. I'll tell you what, if I get up, if I get back out to Olean, I'm definitely looking you up. Well, we will definitely <laughs> hit Sprague's together. That would be great. All right. Take it easy. Thank you. You too. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. 